listening to Higher Ground from WSHU Public Radio. I'm Sabrina Garone. And I'm J.D. Allen. The eighth grade student scientists that we're working with are anxious. You think so? Well, they've been doing weeks of research into making their home a more livable place in the face of climate change, and they clearly see there's a lot wrong. Yeah, but their solutions might give their home the best chance at survival and help save coastal places beyond their city. That's a tall order for a teenager. It could be pretty overwhelming and damaging if we believe all is lost. I think what bothers me the most at this point is how difficult it is for kids to find scientific information online without running into trolls. These obstacles are also challenging for our mental health as we go about our research. We've said it more than a few times producing Higher Ground. It's not a doomsday podcast. And these teens are still learning how to identify and confront climate information. They're trying to figure out what their role can be in addressing this seemingly overwhelming problem. That and more coming up next after this. Music is an essential part of the video game experience. In fact, it often stays with you long after the game is over. Hear how composers create these memorable soundtracks using everything from massive orchestras and choruses to espresso machines in my podcast, Music Respawn with Kate Remington. I talk with the industry's most influential composers and rising stars with plenty of music so you can enjoy it even without a controller. Check out Music Respawn at WSHU.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Miss Michelle is giving a lecture in the shadow of the massive five-foot globe outside the classroom that we visited last episode. It's suspended in the air with projectors all around. She interacts with the display and a colorful overlay engulfs Earth. The students are working through the scientific method, conducting research. We have an atmosphere, which is a swirling layer of gases and clouds that are held in place due to our planet's gravity. And our atmosphere is currently about 60 miles thick, which in the grand scheme of things isn't that big. Um, if you were to drive that distance, it's roughly the distance from here in Bridgeport to New York City. So not a whole lot. Around every star, there's an area known as the Goldilocks Zone. Goldilocks, Wayne reminds us it's like the children's story about the little girl breaking into the home of the three bears. The Goldilocks Zone is the area around the sun where uh, temperatures for like life to develop. They're not too hot and they're not too cold. Greenhouse gases are kinds of gases that are good at, very good at trapping heat and preventing heat from escaping. So uh, things like, like gases like uh, carbon dioxide and methane, uh, they can come from volcanoes, they can come from human activity. Here's the United States. We have a lot more of the black carbon um, aerosols in the air and a lot more of the sulfate in the air. And if we were to pull up a population map, you'll notice where a lot of this stuff is is where there's going to be a lot of people. She swipes the display pad and overlays data from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, known as NOAA. Michelle notes the importance of using a government website as a primary source because of its expansive database, rather than what you might find in a quick Google search. 
we talk a lot, or when people talk about greenhouse gases, they talk about how there's a lot of carbon dioxide in the air. And what happens to all this carbon dioxide? Well, the truth is, a lot of it naturally gets absorbed by the ocean. Cold water tends to absorb carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. Warmer water is what tends to release it. As I continue this, the years are going to increase, and I want you to pay attention to how much of the ocean is absorbing and how much is releasing. Here we go, 2021. What do we notice? Has anything changed? The students are silent. It's either been a long day of school or Miss Michelle's hit a nerve. It's funny how you can see the gears turning in these kids' minds. There's less being released. So as the years have gone by, the ocean has started to absorb more and more carbon dioxide, and it's been releasing less and less. And when the ocean absorbs carbon dioxide, it turns it into an acid. So this is a model of the ocean acidification. We'll use this globe more for research in the coming weeks, but the kids head inside the classroom to jump on some laptops that are provided for them. After our excursion outside in the neighborhood last week and today's global overview, the student scientists start jotting down some ideas that stuck with them. But I would like you to focus on just one aspect, one problem with climate change, either something it causes, something that is causing the climate change, doesn't matter how big, doesn't matter how small, doesn't matter if it's- On their own, they begin to split off into groups based on similar interests. Pollution and how we add to greenhouse gas emissions is an early lightning rod for debate. Like the way their city has gotten hotter each summer. How humidity and temperature uh, work together, I guess, in making things hotter. Yeah, so not only is it hotter, it's also wetter. And that's something that a lot of people don't realize when they are thinking about climate change in coastal areas like this, is that not only could it get hotter, it could also get wetter, and that means it feels even hotter. Um, and so... About why corporations and like companies don't do more to help the environment when they're the cause of most of the pollution. Are you wondering why people that have a lot of means to do something about climate change don't? I'm kind of wondering if it has like something to do with like capitalism. It definitely does. Okay, okay. it does. Have everything has capitalism. everything has anything to do with capitalism. But like in a more specific way, like oh, if they if they all turn into sustainable, then then the 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 cost of stuff will go up and economic inequality. You know. You know how like most sustainable things are more expensive. So I'm wondering if the reason that companies don't do stuff to make stuff more sustainable is because people won't buy the more expensive stuff. But like if everybody does it, then the price is just the same everywhere. These discussions are happening in classrooms everywhere. A 2021 landmark survey of 10,000 young people in 10 countries revealed they are anxious that the government is slow in its response to a crisis that will hit them the hardest. Half of respondents say their voices are ignored or dismissed when they talk about climate change. In the U.S., another survey of 300 college students found most experience a level of climate anxiety that harms their mental health. 
climate anxiety, eco-anxiety, it goes by a lot of names. That's Sarah Schwartz, a clinical psychologist and researcher at Suffolk University in Boston who led this eco-anxiety study. It's still a work in progress in how researchers are defining it, but really thinking about it as um, the emotional and cognitive and behavioral distress related to the changes in climate um, in the world. They're quietly thinking, you know, the world is going to end in the next 10 years and, um, and no one's doing anything. It's a grim picture of the world they'll grow up in. I remember growing up and, you know, it was, I had reduce, reuse, recycle. I had uh, remember to turn the lights off when you leave. And all these senses of individual action made me feel like I was doing something about my environment. So it is not the same world that these teens are growing up in. And I think maybe come from a similar generation where I remember being so proud of myself and feeling so efficacious as a child, realizing, you know, if I tell my parents to turn off the water too <laughs> while they're brushing their teeth, you know, I'm making a change, I'm making a difference. Um, and one of the findings from our research actually was that we, we did see um, what we call a buffering effect of action on anxiety. That is that young people who felt high levels of climate anxiety um, and weren't engaging in collective action, activism um, showed higher levels of depression as well. How do we talk about this in a way that empowers young people rather than paralyzes them with fear? Where young people are able to find hope is through collective action, according to the survey. So individual actions, so things like recycling, conserving energy um, versus collective actions. So, you know, going to rallies, um, writing to politicians, engaging in political campaigns, um, you know, talking with friends, going to educational events about climate change. Including engaging with community science, like teamwork on this podcast or participating in a BioBlitz recording observations outside. Leslie Ann Dupini-Giroux, the president of the American Association of State Climatologists, says just as we worked together to collect data about our environment, we can pool our resources to seek solutions. If everybody feeds into it, you can call it citizen science, you can call it working towards a common good, but if, if everybody feeds in their information, their knowledge, curiosity, their talent, their whatever, everybody can contribute, right? And so the, the, the challenge is that. The other challenge is where are they contributing it? And that's where we as scientists have to make it a little bit easier to collect some of that information. And in fact, this season of Higher Ground is this group of student scientists' contribution to addressing climate challenges in their city. And our relationship with the environment in their neighborhoods. We're going to find and listen to the experts, not noisy narratives about the changing climate. The more you know about how climate changes in a particular place, the better able you are to either um, create mitigative um, strategies, um, create adaptive strategies, the better you're able to actually have models that reproduce your observations. And that takes time. And together, we're going to see what can be done about solutions. There's this, this sense of agency and sense of I can, I can do something and I have support to do that. You know, I'm not on my own in doing this. Sarah reminds us that even though problems can be overwhelming and answers might be hard to come by, it's a healthy part of learning. 
Before she became a clinical psychologist, she was a middle school teacher in Boston. She says our kids are headed in the right direction. I think it sounds like some of what you're already doing with this project, right, of getting young people out in their own communities um, and connecting with place and each other. Young people are so creative and um, and can often come up with ideas that, you know, we, we may not be thinking about. Um, so I think that if us as adults can support them and empower them, that is where the magic happens. Miss Michelle has another idea for how we can connect personally to a global problem. I thought it might be interesting if we took the time to track or figure out our carbon footprint, which is basically just how much carbon do we generate through our day-to-day -day lives for things. The students so, log into the laptops. Michelle directs them to another government website, the Environmental Protection Agency. It has a calculator that asks questions like, how do you dispose of trash, commute to school or work, and consume water and electricity? Also another thing, even when you recycle stuff, a lot of the time, like, what food comes in. Yeah. Like, my mom always tells me, oh, you have to recycle that because it's like a paper bag from McDonald's, but even if I do recycle it, nothing's going to happen to it because it's already covered in all that oil that isn't recyclable. Like, if you get ice cream in, like, that little tub that it comes in, there's still ice cream at the bottom of it. You can't recycle it because it's covered in ice cream. But if you wash it first and then you recycle it, it'll be able to be recycled. What else do you have? What about turning off the lights when you're not in the room? I have LED lights and I usually keep them on all the time. I usually forget to turn it off because it has a little controller. What about things that also use electricity like the TV when you're not in the room or like the Xbox or the PlayStation or the computer? I, I turn those off before I leave you. Yeah. Better than I am. I think I left my uh, my TV on when I left the house today. I don't really have time to watch TV in the morning. I look for Energy Star light bulbs to see what they look like so I can see if I could buy some. And these are some like really, really weird light bulbs. Turns out this bunch of 13-year-olds really don't have as big a carbon footprint as adults. Many of them might live in apartments with smaller lawns. And sewer systems instead of suburban cesspools. They have access to public transit, even electric school buses. Carpool? No. No, I'm not doing no carpool. I'm sorry. But I'm not doing no carpool. Like, I can take the bus, like, maybe I can take the bus, but not a car. But also think about, you don't drive cars yet. Um, you don't buy your own groceries. You might, you, you might use, like, Amazon and stuff like that. Um, so your impact on, on the world around you, it might be more defined by your families, your homes, your schools. Apparently you're all model. Uh, model citizens at this. Later in this podcast, we'll explore problems the student scientists have identified with access to clean water and healthy urban green spaces. And next episode, Taya and Skye form their hypothesis. Unraveling where air pollution in their city comes from. Who among their most vulnerable neighbors are impacted and how they might clear the air with solutions that help all of us breathe easier.
Higher Ground is reported and produced by Sabrina Garone and me, J.D. Allen, with editing from Harriet Jones. Molly Ingram helped with the mixing. Samantha Simon, Melanie Formosa, and Megan Briggs did fact-checking and research. Music is composed by Samuel Davies and Aria Elon. Graphic art by Joshua Joseph. This podcast was made possible by the Joan Gantz Cooney Center and the Sesame Workshop. Higher Ground is a production of WSHU Public Radio. The next episode is available wherever you get your podcasts.